podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Today on Barca Talk, questions are still looming about the final squad as the close of the transfer window approaches. The captains of La Liga have met and unanimously decided they do not want to have to play competitive matches in the USA. Let's make sure the league is on TV in the USA before we go flying teams across the ocean. The Barca women's squad has seen a lot of changes in the offseason and they're gearing up for the start of their campaign. And a tough win on a tough pitch in Valladolid kept the first team's record spotless. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson, coming to you from Buffalo, New York. And joining me as always is the birthday boy, Gabriel Quiroga in Madrid. Thank you very much, Brian. I uh, survived uh, my birthday party last night. You do sound a little bit haggard. Uh, Yes, but like we were talking earlier, I stuck to the one drink strategy. I just stuck to beer. No mixing. No mixing, but... uh, I had a lot of beers. Sure. <laughs> of course, of course, it was your it was your birthday celebration. Exactly, good times. It was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it was good. We started watching the the match at a bar last night. Obviously, a good result. Um, then from there, we just went to kind of a bar that has dancing, and it's basically the only bar in Madrid that plays. And I'm using air quotes. Uh, hip-hop so it was like you know it's, it's very pop hip-hop you know and uh, when we got there there was nobody in the bar i mean absolutely nobody and it was already one o'clock in the morning i said oh my gosh that's early on vacation no but still like even at one o'clock it's still there's some movement you know right dj was playing this really weird uh i don't know how to describe it. it was just like 70s kind of disco rock thing going on and i was like oh my god i think we made a mistake and you know uh, we had a drink there, and then, you know, five minutes at a time, people just started coming in. My friend requested a song, and that just started the whole thing. And so we were there for all night dancing, and it was good times. What sure. song did he request? Uh, I just told her, I said, hey, go request something pop, you know, something that everyone can sing along and dance. And she re- she just requested the Beyonce song, Crazy in Love. And oh. then everyone that was there, you know, started dancing. And then the DJ realized, oh, these is people are ready to dance and then he right. just started he started playing and it was a lot of fun so yeah that's a good brian, song that'll I'm, get things going yeah, exactly i don't know if you know brian but i am like top three dancers you ever seen so oh okay pop and lock i was doing you know 1980s you know yeah i was on the ground break dancing and stuff so you had your adidas <laughs> correct you're all set <laughs> <laughs> yeah so good times for sure yeah, well, again, yeah, the good result from Saturday, although the, the big news story was actually the, the pitch from from the match in Valladolid, but we're going to dig into that uh, later on when we cover the match. Right now, let's get into some news. The big story, or I don't know how big it was now that it's been diffused, but um, Rakitic put all rumors to bed after this match on Saturday saying that he is not going to PSG. There have been all these uh, rumors that PSG were coming after him or that they'd made a bid of 90 million euro but he he just has made it clear that he is not going to PSG he's staying at Barcelona and he doesn't have a new contract with Barcelona but I imagine he's just happy with the contract he has and where he's playing yeah today when I was watching the sports show they had a segment about this so obviously it was something that was semi-serious because he had to address it after the match and so after the game obviously he announced that he's staying he said he talked to the team during the week and just kind of reaffirmed his intention to stay in, in this statement as well. He also just talked about how he loves playing for FC Barcelona. He's proud to play for the team, uh, feels pri- privileged to defend the Scudo, the crest, right? right. And, uh, and obviously, too, his family's super happy 
to be in Barcelona. Obviously, his wife is Spanish and uh, super happy to be there in Barcelona. But again, I just always assume, like we talked about in our bonus episode, like if PSG wanted him, they had to pay that buyout clause. It's not a negotiation. Yeah, they undercut it. They lowballed it. And I don't see how they thought that was going to work. Exactly. And the other thing, too, is, you know, people on Twitter, when I was kind of when this kind of surfaced this week, you know, a lot of Kool-Aids are kind of love or hate with this, with Rakitic. I think he's super crucial to the team. A lot of pe- people want him to go so that Rafinha would get more opportunity. That's that's mainly the the call for that. But for me, um, his durability, his importance to the midfield, and obviously we saw in the, in the World Cup how good he really can be when he's let when he's left to uh, able to attack and kind of be creative. But in his role here at Barcelona, he's more of a you know defender pivot, also just to relay the passes to Messi and so forth. And he does a really great job. But if you think about the last four years, he's barely missed a game through injury. And yeah. that's really impressive. He's had a really great record as far as injury goes. And I think most importantly, Val Green considers him crucial. He came out over the week and publicly said how how vital he considers Rakitic to the squad. So that's also have that has to be a major uh, deciding factor. Exactly. And you know, he's he scores goals. You know, think about the Classico, think about the Champions League finals. And he scores them in crucial times for us. And again, for me, he's just one of the most important players that we have going forward, especially right now in this moment. You know, he's not the youngest player, but again, he's not the oldest player either. And I think he's in the perfect spot in his career. He's really happy. And like you said, playing for the best club in the world is a no-brainer. I mean, if you go to PSG, you just don't have the same challenges and it's not the same type of level as Barcelona is. Exactly. So Rakitic is definitely staying. Meanwhile, there's a couple of questions, uh, particularly uh, about Paco going to Borussia Dortmund. There are these reports that uh, Paco might be going there on loan for the season with the additional option for the German club to sign him outright at the end of the loan term. And uh, his absence from the squad for the trip to Valladolid, along with reports from Mundo Deportivo, Sport, and the German outlet Built are supporting this rumor. Built reported the numbers actually at 2.2 million euro for the loan and somewhere in the range of 20 to 25 million in the buy clause. So this would, I mean, we could talk about the Paco aspect of this, but also this would seem to ensure Munir's place on the squad if this goes through and more minutes than he would have expected otherwise. But should Suarez be injured, could we see more lineups without a center forward at all? So even then leaving Munir out maybe two wingers and uh, Messi in the false nine something like that but let's go back to I the mean, Paco thing yeah I mean first of all I just don't understand why Val Green doesn't have more faith in Paco you know obviously there's something that Val Green doesn't like in his game for whatever reason but he had such a, a brilliant start to his career with Valencia and I just don't understand how you know I have more faith if Suarez was to get injured in Paco than Munir Oh yeah, for example, too. exactly. In last night's match when Munir came in, I just go, "Oh my god, is this serious?" You know, I, I, that's the feeling <laughs> I get. It was for three you know? minutes. <laughs> I know that, I know, but that's the feeling I get. It's just, it's such a drop off, right. you know. And with Paco, I just, I just don't understand this move. But and also the the price, you would just think the price would be a little bit higher. You know, two million is is pocket change. I'm just, I'm if that's true, I'm surprised that uh, Borussia hasn't pulled the trigger sooner because that doesn't that doesn't seem that it's so out of their league to not pull that and i think he'd be a great fit over there just because of their attacking style i think also he's going to get a lot more playing time just get his confidence back up and again you know before he came to barcelona he was a top four striker in la liga and you know he's just been buried on the bench because he's been playing behind suarez 
Right, exactly. So we'll see how that shapes out. Of course, we're going to know by the end of the week. Meanwhile, also absent from the squad this last weekend was Rafinha, and rumors have been circulating around him that he could be on the move to Real Betis, and nothing has been confirmed on that as of the time that we're recording this, but that's uh, something else that's been coming up this last week. Yeah, this for this move, um, Real Betis has kind of been reeling these first two games. They haven't gotten any po- they got one point so far. They were kind of picked as the sleeper team this year to kind of really uh, propel from last year because last year they had a really good campaign. But this season so far, they haven't been able to score any goals and they only have one point. Rafinha would be a good fit. I think he would be, for the way they play, I think he'd be able to drive their attack really well. And also with his dynamic play at times i think that's something that real betis is missing is that type of player at that level well also it seems like a move that you would be into because i know that even though he had actually a pretty decent preseason you're still kind of um you're not really on the fence about rafinha i'm a little bit more on the fence about rafinha you're more decided you are would be perfectly happy to see him leave yeah definitely and the thing too is he hasn't made the bench and he hasn't even got any playing time so far in the first two games and i know it's the first two games but you can see he, even Munir got time last night. Right. I mean, that's that's kind of the benchmark, right? Even Munir got playing time last <laughs> night. So so Rafinha is not even getting a sniff, not even being on the bench last night. I mean, that just tells you, again, you know, after we, we thought that during the preseason, Rafinha was going to get some more playing time. It doesn't look like that's going to happen unless there's a, a major injury to our midfield. Um, but I can only I would only see him playing Copa del Rey this year, if anything. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that happening. And uh, it's a bummer because for me, because I, I do think that he had a really good preseason. I think he's coming back from his injury well and and he looks positive. And of course, you know, he's got that La Masia thing. So there's already some sympathy there for him. But I don't think Val Green is really feeling it. Now, a couple of larger stories. Uh, This is a big developing story, and I think we're going to see this develop throughout the season. But uh, the La Liga captains met together on Wednesday in Madrid regarding the USA matches uh, that La Liga, the deal that La Liga struck with Relevant. And among the captains, there was unanimous agreement that they don't like this deal. Um, Agonzo, the president of the Players Union, is going to meet with Tebas in September to detail the captain's complaints. And they want to avoid it, but he did say that a strike is not ruled out. And from Barcelona, Sergio Busquets and Sergio Roberto were both present. Yeah, we talked about this and in the in the Patreon episode that we did this week. And this is the only tactic that the players have, right, is to strike essentially against this. Now, I think personally that this deal was made to begin for this year to play a match for the following season mm-hmm. to get the get everything going, get all these things worked out with to get the players on board. I also think that the players are going to have to get a bonus from this as well. And I think obviously like if a, if a bench player gets a huge bonus from this, then they're all going to be on board. So again, money talks, I think eventually it's going to happen, but my main, my main things is they need to fix things here in La Liga in Spain first, before they really start doing this, this exportation of La Liga. And one of those things, especially like last night's match, the field conditions, right. you know, the fixtures, the the referees having more support for the referees and uh, the, that that exists in the stands, you know, like for example, last night in the match, PK was getting shouted out with remarks for, about Shakira and all these things, and it's just those are the type of things that need to kind of quell down first, you know, to get that kind of more under control, and then 
think about exportation of La Liga. Right. Well, we also we got this from Cameron, one of our Patreon supporters in Hot Springs, Arkansas, about this. Uh, and he says, can't blame the players for not wanting to travel to the USA to play a La Liga game. I'm perfectly happy sitting in my chair with cheaper beer and a better view of the game anyways. It would be cool, but I like watching on TV where I can be up close and personal. I agree. I agree. I, I definitely, you know, obviously there's something being in the stadium live. And like we talked about, this is an opportunity for people in the States to see a real official La Liga game if they can't go to Spain to see it. So obviously I understand the opportunity. You know, the NFL did the same thing with the London games. And now, you know, before it was just one game and now there's four games this season. And now it's, you know, it's a permanent fixture that's happening in London. Now I can see that eventually happen, especially if it's going to be just Miami, you know, because of the, the distance. But again, you know, this is this is all about money and the exportation of, of La Liga. Yeah, and also to follow up on Cameron's remark, I mean, I mostly agree with him, but the other take on it that I have for me personally, coming from Buffalo, just for me to get to Miami, might actually it might actually cost me less to just go to Spain. So for me, and if you're in California, maybe even getting to Miami would be really difficult. So, I mean, the U.S. is a very large country. We can't just say that coming to the U.S. period with a game is necessarily, you know, easy for anyone. It depends on your circumstances and the geography. But like for me, it really would be, I think, more cost effective and and easier to just go to Spain than to go to Miami to see a game. And you get you get the whole experience, right? There's even there's always going to be a sense when they play in Miami that it's that it's separate, that it's been taken out of its, it's like a, it's like an, it's like a circus animal, you know, it's been taken out of its natural habitat and placed into this aquarium style situation where you're not really observing it in its reality. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, and that's the thing, the, the, the ambiance of that game is going to be almost as a preseason touristy type of atmosphere with very little chanting. Obviously there'd be a huge, support group of whatever major team there is you know let's say it was uh, madrid either the madrid teams valencia you know their peña supporters would go there and they would try to create that environment but you know how it is and miami has a reputation of being a very um lazy sports town you know with their energy when they have at the matches and so forth Thank right you. yeah so I, I just i don't think it's going to be that great of an experience personally although we did have another remark from uh, from Gonzalo or Gus, my Barca father from another mother about this. And he said, yeah, play at least one league game in the States to create some enthusiasm here. And so you're you're intimately familiar with this commenter. Yes, because he's my real father. Your real father. <laughs> your real father from your real mother. Correct. <laughs> my dad's funny because he always like he always sends me messages right before the match and he's like, are we going to win? <laughs> <laughs> Or he'll just or he'll just say Suarez sucks, just like just plain as day like that. So my dad, you know, my dad has kind of seen it all, you know, because he's such a huge football fan. And I remember going as a kid when Real Madrid did a tour back in the day. We went to the match. Um, we've been to a World Cup together, so he's seen how the, the the popularity of the sport has really grown. And he has a good point there, you know. Obviously. We've seen in the last couple of years, you know, especially with doing the podcast, the interaction we have the Pena members and seeing the photos, you just see the the enthusiasm keeps rising. You know, it keeps rate, you know, rising, and especially because the style of play that Barca demonstrates is another reason. Gus said he wouldn't go to the match because he doesn't really like Miami, but <laughs> uh, he definitely loves watching it on his HD television for sure. Right. So he's he's more in in Cameron's camp. 
Now he had a Gus had a couple other remarks and that might actually lead us into uh, another discussion. But I just want to give these uh, some airtime for a second. Uh, he agrees with you about the Copa del Rey. Make the venue similar to the Super Bowl, right? Uh, set it. You know, have a rotation of the same venues on a rotating basis. People know where they're going. And I found this one interesting. Uh, he said, "My dream that Barca won't be too tiki taka this year." So is is that referring to the complaint that you've had about playing so horizontally and not not getting forward and not taking as many chances? Is that what he's referring to? Because no, I love refer- the tiki taka. I thought that was no, like no, no, part no. of the he, thing. He's referring to trying to make the greatest goal ever every time. <laughs> right. You know that that's the thing, and you know we we both share this complaint for big matches. You know you know like for Champions League matches when we try. It's like we talk about all the time, you have to win ugly in Champions League. It is not for the faint of heart, right? It's not You're not going to create the most beautiful goals. I mean, you, you can try to, but ultimately it's to advance and you have to win those street fights. And sometimes, in the, especially in the last years when we, when we bow out earlier than we should, it's because we weren't more aggressive from outside. We're trying to walk the ball past the line. And those are my biggest complaints. I don't mind the horizontal as long as, long as we take some real shots on goal from outside. It's just all about variety. You know, that's the whole thing. I Obviously, keeping the possession is something we're always going to do very well, but we have to yield some attacks, some goals from it. Right. And as far as uh, long-distance strikes, actually, he had one final thing to say about this uh, looking ahead because last week we were talking about our hopes for the, the season, for the year, and uh, Gus says he has high hopes in Dembele, Coutinho, and Malcolm to be the long-distance strikers. And I think he's dead on there. You know, we we do have more variety in where the shots are going to be coming from with these uh, newer signings, right? With Coutinho and Dembele, we're going to see more shots coming from a little bit further away. And apparently with Malcolm, too, he's not shy about taking a, a pretty long-distance shot. Exactly. That's why I'm excited about Malcolm, especially we saw last night's match. He comes in. He's a, such a direct player and not scared to shoot. And we need that in those last minutes because before, you know, when we brought in a player, they're just trying to hold the ball in the corner and, you know, let's get another goal and put it out of reach, you know. If Malcolm would have scored that game, then, you know, the... Well, the goal that Valladolid almost scored, it, had it been counted, would have uh, would have cost us points. Exactly. We'll talk about more of that in the, in the game detail. But again, my dad... He loves just taking shots from outside the box. I mean, it doesn't have to be such far distance, just like on the edge of the box. Uh, because that's the thing. When you're playing de- defense, it's such a hard thing, right? You're going backwards. And if a player is shooting as well as trying to go past you and passing and giving going, you have so many things to to monitor that you just your head's on a swivel and it just makes it difficult. But if you know that Barcelona is going to try to make the most beautiful goal and they're just going to go around to passing, passing it, and they're never going to take a shot, then it's easier to defend. As we always say, right. If you make it one dimensional, it's just really easy to defend. Exactly. Always is. Uh, Speaking of dimensions on the two dimensional plane, (laughs) I'm going to try and segue this into talking about TV, Uh, but getting back to this uh, USA match thing. And like I said, in the intro, you know, before we go importing the game to the U.S., why not just make sure that everyone in the U.S. can actually watch games in on TV, right? So BN, the network that carries La Liga, is right now campaigning to get back on Xfinity's channel lineup. And this fa- affects a lot of fans in the U.S. Xfinity is one of the largest cable providers in the country. Comcast, the parent company, is second only to AT&T with DirecTV in total subscribers. And DirecTV only has BN on its most expensive package at $110 a month. 
See, now my solution, and we were talking about this last week, was to get Sling TV because they have a package for 10 bucks a month that includes BN and BN and Espanol along with some other Spanish channels. And this works for me because I have a Roku, so I can still watch it on my actual TV. And Sling works with Amazon Fire devices, Apple TV, Xbox, Android TV, Chromecast, and certain, I guess, uh, certain Samsung and LG smart TV models. Now, there is also, for Sling TV, there's a a DVR add-on for $5 a month that I also signed up for so that I can watch the games whenever. So as far as La Liga goes, that's what I've worked out for this year. So if you're out there uh, trying to deal with these uh, these cable problems, uh, Sling TV might be a, a decent option for you. Yeah, this is a big problem because as I was talking to my dad about this, my dad has DirecTV and he's he doesn't want to pay that extra money because the only reason he would have to pay that is to watch Barcelona home matches. So... I was telling him about your option about Sling TV to check that out because my dad has, uh, you know, like a Roku, like a streaming device connected to the TV. This is a huge problem that's happening, not only with La Liga, but with the Serie A and EPL. It's, it's kind of the fine line of paywall and what's on TV in those games. I don't know what's the solution. I mean, obviously, everyone would like to have those matches included with the package, you know, like a sports package. But that's a really difficult thing because, you know, BN is probably... Um, losing money somehow with the with the rights, and they're they're going to have to renew for next year. So who knows who's going to get La Liga next season? And it's just a big deal because you know when I follow people on Twitter, people are streaming, and it's becoming more and more difficult uh, to watch the matches. And that's why you know you go to the bar with the Peñas and just watch at the bar because you know the bar is going to cough up the money for that. So you always know you can always go to the bar, but obviously that can become expensive. So, you know, this Sling TV, I was trying to see if I can get it here, but I can't. Uh, I was just trying to check it out for my other friends here. And so it's only available in the States. And, you know, I don't know what the future is going to hold because, you know, all these channels, these sports channels are fighting for the rights, but then they're not showing all the matches on TV. So I don't know what, you know, obviously they're making money off the paywall. Again, like we talked about the Champions League this season, the only way you can really watch all the matches is through the Bleacher Report app. And that's, I think, another $150 that you have to pay. So, Yeah, that's insane. This season is going to be difficult because the Champions League is going to be more scarce in the States. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I don't know how I deal with that. I was living in the States because Champions League is like my favorite competition, you know? I so, know. Yeah. And, well, and here in, there's always the you know, bar. <laughs> there is always the bar. But here in Spain, they're not showing them on, on free TV anymore as well. So that's a big – but, again, I have the package, so I'm lucky enough to have that included in my in – my, in my cable package, but again, they're not showing it. They used to show one match per round for free on the TV, and now they're not doing that anymore. Right. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's horrible. Well, as far as La Liga goes and be in, here's what I see happening. Uh, I, because I love BN's coverage, and of course we all re- love Ray Hudson uh, commentating and doing the color on the, especially the Barcelona games. But even if you watch him on any game he's commenting on, even a Real Madrid game, you know, of course I'm not a, I'm pretty anti-Real Madrid as a club, but you got to admit, Ray Hudson still calls it really well because so, <laughs> he's just great at what he does. Yeah. So I love BN's coverage. You know, the, the graphics packages are still uh, occasionally annoying, but, you know, the I, I think they're going to dial it down a little bit as the season goes, uh, as, as people make their voices heard. But here's what I see happening with BN. I think BN is ultimately going to transition to become a just a its own streaming service. Or they might they might um, network up with uh, some other sports channels and maybe just create like Netflix for sports, you know, just their own streaming service that you can get 
separate from any cable package. That would be, I think, the smart way to, to handle it, and then anyone could see it. And of course, that would only be in the U.S. I don't know about other international things, but in any case. I mean, they're the only real soccer channel. Right. You know, you know, and they should leverage that more as being a leader, you know, with their, like, their news, you know, like kind of their sports center, but for the different leagues, you know, and just highlight those things. They, they really need to exploit that they're the only 24-hour soccer channel somehow better, right? Because you watch the matches and the commentating is good. I've watched some of their their shows and you know they're not the greatest and they're not the worst you know they just i don't know they need to do something a little bit more to to get more people excited about being because again if you want to get your your football fix at, at any time you can always go on bn and check out matches or their shows yeah and they have a lot of good people uh but yeah maybe they could stand to uh maybe i don't know ramp up or do something or a little bit of a little bit of a makeover on some of their uh, like the news shows the commentary shows which are, you know, I think, again, pretty good. But, yeah, maybe they could stand to be a little bit improved. Uh, but don't forget, they they also have uh, tennis and moto motorcycle racing. So yeah. they're not – but they're mainly a soccer channel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, just have less people. <laughs> you know, I, I don't just understand. concentrate things fasc- a little bit more. Yeah, I just – I hate the fascination of always adding more people to a panel. You know, like – for example, in any sports show you watch, there's like, we got six people who are analysts. And you're just like, oh, my God. So each person talks for one minute. Right. Or you, you know, get cable news where you have an entire array of, you know, 12 people on the screen, all split screen, and everyone's talking exactly. over each other. That's not like, good. I know, I know on BN they have that roundtable, and they have about five people, right? And they're all trying to chime in, and it's very quick, and you don't have enough time. I'd rather have two people talk longer and get their points of view. Obviously, if it's a if it's an ex player like Christian Vieri, for example, I'm more interested about his experience as a striker at a high level and the things he sees in the match. Give him more time, but don't put seven people. You know, that's not. I don't want. I don't want that. You know. Right. Right. Well, we'll see what works for them. But I, I do think that eventually we're going to see BN become strictly just a streaming service. Next up, after the break, we hear some of your comments and hear about Barca B and Barca Women. All right, we're back. And we just have a couple of comments that we wanted to share with you from the listeners. And this came from Carlos in Houston. Uh, He says, on Saturday, February 17th, he's talking about this year, 2018, Barcelona had a league game, and I didn't attend the game with my Peña because my daughter was born. Six months later, this is her now, watching her first Barcelona game. And he included a picture. This, he sent this to us on, uh, on Facebook. And he included a picture of him holding his little girl, and they both have their eyes glued to the TV watching the game. He has his jersey on, and she has this adorable giant pink bow on her head. And when she was born, we congratulated Carlos and welcomed his daughter into the world back then. And uh, it's just wanted to give him one extra shout out. Thanks for sharing that picture with us. It was beautiful. And it's good to see that you're raising her right on Barca. Now, also, this came from Fernando Alarcón. He, in response to our special episode to the Camp Nou about his first time going to the the Cathedral of the Barcelona Faithful, as I call it, it was. Um, he says it was beyond awesome. I was there February 2018. Unfortunately, Barca was not there for me to watch a game. I, however, went through the tour. It was amazing. The trophy room was incredible. I have tons of photos, and of course, I purchased the photo book from the stadium, saving my shekels to go again and this time watch a game. 
Yeah. I mean, I love that tour so much. It's one of the best things ever. Did you buy the photo book? I didn't buy the photo book, but I've done the tour three times and it never gets old. I just love the You can't wait to go again. (laughs) Yeah, I'll probably go again. I'm going in September. I have a friend of mine that's visiting from the States. So we're going to go for the Girona match. Uh, I think it's the 24th that weekend. And he's never been to Barcelona. So we're definitely doing the tour again. And this time, every time I've done the video tour, I haven't been able to stay as long as I wanted to in the video room because whoever I was with just wasn't as interested in it as me. But my friend, he likes football. So we're going to check out the video room. And that video room is just one of the best things ever. You can pick any video of any player on demand. And then they have that huge room where they have the highlights of the last five years. And it's just the way they do it. And then also, obviously walking onto the field with the crowd noise is just never gets old. It's, it's, it's such an awesome, obviously I'm biased because I'm a Barca fan, but I've been to a lot of stadiums. I've been to the Stanford bridge in Chelsea. I did the tour of Manchester United. Obviously I've been to the Bernabeu and it's hands down the best tour and the best uh, experience like multimedia wise uh, out there. So I can't wait to go again in September. Nice. Yeah. They're doing it right. And I can't wait to go there in the next spring. So thanks, for, thanks, Carlos, and thanks, Fernando, for uh, sharing those stories with us. And if you haven't listened to that special episode to the Camp Nou, I highly recommend it. It'll, it'll basically change your life. It will. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm happy with it. I'll say that. I, of course. I'm happy with it, too. It's an amazing episode. I've told you I've listened to it five times already. I know. So it's, it's just really good. I like when I, when I find a podcast episode that's a storytelling, like the, the one we just did with the Camp No, and it, it holds its weight. You know, I like to listen to it again, especially with the music you chose and listening to the interviews. Obviously, they were my friends, but still, it's just nice to hear uh, their experiences and just getting it from a diehard fan and just a, a person who's new to the Barca uh, family. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting dichotomy. So anyway, check that out if you haven't already. Now, real quick, let's talk about Barca B for just a second. They did win their last friendly before starting the Segunda B season. They won 3-1 to one over Cornea, and they will have played their first competitive match Sunday evening against Alcoyano on the road. Alcoyano, excuse me. Uh, Next week, we'll have a full report from Max Bluer on the squad and the results of that match. But to the women, they were knocked out of the Champions League by Lyon in the quarterfinals last year and came second to Atletico in the league. But they were able to lift the Copa de la Arena trophy. Since then, the squad has seen some pretty seismic changes. And to detail the changes in the squad and Barca women's plans for the year, here is our new Barca women's correspondent, Michelle Taylor. Barca Femini got its signings done and dusted very early over summer. With eight players leaving, the gaps in the teams had to be filled and reinforced. The 2018-19 season will be year number four in Barca Femini's five-year plan to reach the Champions League final. This is the driving factor for all the decisions made around the team right now. Mutterings within the fan base debate whether this is the right focus when we see some of our favourite players leaving, especially the promising talent from the B team that has left in recent times as the players look for promotion to senior level and find it with other teams within the women's Liga Iberdrola. The biggest surprise and the departure that gained most attention was the retirement of our long-time goalkeeper, 28-year-old Laura Ruffles. The 14-year Barca veteran and captain held a tearful press conference with the whole team present in the room to explain her reasons for quitting. She felt that she had lost the enthusiasm for playing the game and that it was time for her to find new things to do. The club has left the door open for her to return and there are many roles into which she could fit 
given that while she played for Barca, she still found time to complete studies for a UEFA Coaching B licence, a Master's in Sports Medicine, a Master's in Physical Activities and Health, and is currently in a PhD programme. Obviously, she's not one to sit still for very long, and we hope to see Laura back when she's ready to return. Following Laura out the door was Andrea Jimenez, our third goalkeeper. Coming from Espanyol two years ago, the 20-year-old signing was heralded as a goalkeeper for the future. But as the number three, she didn't get any senior match time, instead playing a few games with Barca B. If a second goalkeeper's time is minimal, a third goalkeeper's life in any team must suck when all you want to do is, is to play and there are two players ahead of you. After Rafal's and Andrea's departures, the Barca grapevine heard that the number one GK, Sandra Panos, may also be on her way out, which would have left us with no goalkeepers at all. She had attracted the attention of Olympic Lyon because of her stellar performances against them in Champions League last season. We were all very relieved when Sandra renewed and will be a Blaugrana player until at least 2021. With Panyol staying, it still meant that the team was light on goalkeepers and that new signings had to be made. The club moved quickly, securing Pamela Tejano from Sevilla. The Mexican international has already shown her prowess during pre-season and is particularly strong when coming out to the edge of her box, which is a weakness in the Panyos game. The third GK position will be filled by Barca B's Gemma Font, who I've watched over the past few years and have only good impressions about the young Portera. Our defensive line was not without its casualties. Five-year veteran, former Spanish international Ruth Garcia, elected to move on and has joined Levante to get more playing time as she nears the end of her playing career. Ruth will be greatly missed, off the pitch as well as on it. She was the team's ray of light, the eternal sunshine, and hugely supportive of all the players, especially looking after the younger ones. Brazilian right-back Fabiana was plagued with injuries last season and we didn't get to see her at her best. Interestingly, Barcelona moved to renew her, but she chose to return to China where she's playing for Wuhan. Danish player Lena Rodik Hansen also had her injury problems last season and after two seasons with Barca, in which she was instrumental in the team's transition to professional status, she's gone to Ajax in the Netherlands. Young Frenchwoman Pearl Moroni, who joined on loan from PSG when Leila Wahabi injured her ACL, has returned to the French club, where she has had a fabulous pre-season. Dutch international Stephanie van der Rach was the first defender in the door. Signed from Ajax, the centre-back was part of the Euro-winning Netherlands team last year. Unfortunately, she injured a hamstring in the pre-season game against Man City and is unsure when she'll return to the pitch. Spanish international centre-back Andrea Pereira was signed from Atleti Madrid. Pereira is a Barcelona native, so this is a move back home for her, but the first time that she's played for Barca. And then came the news that none of us wanted to hear, and it came with a twist, because what can anything to do with Barcelona be straightforward? After 12 years, Captain Marta Unzue was renewed until 2020, but left to join Athletic Club de Bilbao. It was evident that she didn't figure in Fran Sanchez's plans for last season, given the limited playing time that she got. Yet every time that she was on the pitch, that right side defence was solid. It's one of the decisions that most feel is a wrong one, especially given that the team is light in the right defensive position. Our first game of the season is against Athletic Club, and I can guarantee that Marta Unzoe will be keeping Lika Martins very quiet on that side of the field. 
Unzue's renewal also has a clause that she can return to Barca in January 2020, and I think that the idea is to bring her back for the last six months of her contract to give her the farewell that she deserves. And if you're wondering, yes, she is related to former Barca men's assistant coach Juan Carlos Unzue. He is her uncle. On to the midfield. What is Barcelona without midfielders? We can never have enough. We didn't lose any, and we signed one. Heira Hamraoui joined us from Olympic Lyon. The 28-year-old French international will play for her first foreign club. Unfortunately, during pre-season, she was injured, and sadly, her father passed away, so she has yet to settle in properly. In the front line, it's a bit of a mixed bag. After an inexplicable last season, where Sanchez did all he could to avoid playing Olga Garcia, it was a no-brainer that the Spanish international forward would leave the club of her life and join Atleti Madrid. There is a sponsor synergy too. Olga and Atleti are both sponsored by the nutrition and weight loss company Herbal Life. If there's a weak area in the team, it's in the position of a recognised striker. Tony Dugan, after playing left wing for City and England, has moved into the centre and has done really well there. The weakness in the front area could change in the next couple of years with the promotion of Claudia Pina Medina from the Barca B team. She's just turned 17 and is something of a phenomenon in front of goal. Playing with the maturity beyond her years, Claudia is more than a striker. She's a playmaker with vision for defence-splitting passes. It's going to be exciting to watch her adapt to the senior level of play. She's just returned from the Under-20 World Cup in France, where Spain finished second, losing to Japan in the final. As well as Gemma Font and Claudia Pina, Barca B team player Candela Anduha has been promoted to the senior team. Usually seen as left-wing attack, Candela can also play left- or right-back defence. She started her playing days as a goalkeeper, so she's been around the pitch. Having lost so many B-team players to other teams in recent times, it's great to see Gemma, Claudia and Candela promoted. The idea is that they will train and travel with the A-team and keep playing some games with Barca B to maintain regular playing time, which is so important for their development at this stage in their lives. In summary, Barca made some solid signings to reinforce the team. Most players are current internationals at senior or age group level. Whether this is a good thing is to be debated, because come each international break, there are hardly any players left at home for Sanchez to prepare for the coming Liga games. At least 14 players will disperse to their national teams for the next international break coming up at the end of this month. The first Liga game will be on the weekend of September 8th, and we play away against the Athletic Club de Bilbao. The team will need to make a strong start as we play some tough teams around each side of making the 12-hour journeys to and from Kazakhstan for the first round of the Champions League, where Barca will play BIIK Kazigurt on September 12th. There's nothing like being thrown in at the deep end. Visca Barca! That was Michelle Taylor. To stay informed on Barca Women, follow her on Twitter at Barca Women. Next up after the break... Barca rise above the poor conditions at Valladolid for three more points. All right, welcome back to Barca Talk. We're going to get into the match against Valladolid, newly promoted to the Primera. This was La Liga match day two, played in Valladolid at the Jose Soria, and we won one to nothing. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> we got there. So I have a quick question before we dive into this. You know, mm-hmm. everyone always talks about the EPL being so 
competitive with the lower tier teams doing it. But when Barca has a tough match away at Valladolid, for example, everyone just assumes they're going to win for nothing. I mean, I don't understand why La Liga doesn't get that same kind of recognition. I know these, we still got the points, but the, the game was tough right from the get-go. I mean, we, we, you saw the crowd. This is the first time in La Liga in four years. Plus, this is the first match in La Liga against Barca. So I forgot to put those things into the equation when we were talking about the preview of this match. And when I first saw those stats on Twitter and so forth, I said, oh, gosh, this is going to be it's going to be a tough game already. Yeah. And it turned out to be and not just because of we're going to talk about this a lot. And we're probably going to talk about this all through the commentary. But it wasn't just because of the pitch. It actually was very much because of how Valladolid was playing. Yeah, I saw an interesting markup today on Barca Blagrana's blog today about the tactics that Valladolid was implementing. And basically, they were implementing it kind of an, an amoeba-style defense in the middle around Messi, essentially, mm-hmm. to close that off. And it was really interesting because they had the pictures to show, but obviously their formation was a kind of a unique formation. They went a 4-3-1-2. Obviously, the, the biggest protagonist of this match was the was the field, right. the golf turf, the divots. Yeah. I mean, in today's sports show, today's sports show, they spent 10 minutes, the first segment, only on the, the field conditions. Yeah, well, they were so bad. I mean, you could tell that no one really wanted to stick their plant foot down hard, right? Like, you could tell that, like, so many of the kicks were, you know, they were errant, they were wild, or they just didn't have as much on them as they normally would from the players who were taking them. Of course, I'm speaking from the Barcelona perspective because I know these players really well. And I can just I could just see how they were trying to adjust their bodies to the pitch so that they didn't hurt themselves while still trying to play the game and still trying to win. It was crazy because every time they planted, they slipped. And it was for both teams, you know. And, you know, I'm so thankful that no one really got seriously hurt for either team because that could have really damaged some knees for sure you yes. know i mean there is a great video of uh jordy alba fixing the 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 divot essentially and it looks like a he's laying down carpet you know it was that big and that soft and again they just laid it like four days ago I mean, <laughs> what, what, what what is going on you know and I, I got a comment on twitter about this that the new teams that get promoted to la liga should be under more scrutiny at the beginning right they should they should have these protocols and that's the other thing is la liga doesn't have a quote-unquote 100% protocol of what the lawn care should and all these things, you know, this would never happen in the NFL, right? The NFL has very strict committees about the lawn, the fields that they use to make sure that these type of things don't happen. I mean, you saw from the get-go how bad their passing was, the movement. It's, it's, it's essentially playing in sand, and you can see it negated our speed, and it just became kind of sloppy counterattack, especially in the second half, where Valladolid almost had more opportunities to score. And we were holding on to dear life for those three points. Well, let's bring it back to the beginning in FC Barcelona's lineup. What were your thoughts? You know, I'm for our team, the 4-3-3 is just not our best formation. And he did make a change. He put Coutinho in the starting midfield. And then he also took Semedo out from last match and put your boy Sergio Roberto in the right back. Now... Again, Sergio Roberto had another great match. He's just, his movement, he just plays that right back role so well now that Semedo really needs to learn from him about the movement. But as far as, you know, the formation, it was a 4-3-3, had Ter Stegen in goal, Sergio Roberto, Pique, and Titi Nava, standard operating procedure right there. Then we had Rakitic, Busquets, and Coutinho, and then Dembele, Messi, and Suarez. Again, I just think, you know, as we've talked about our goals and our dreams this season, 
you know, there's a point where we have to be conservative and there's a point that we can just use a formation to really will the team. You know, the thing is every coach now knows that the defense that you need to play against a four, three, three. And as you can see by the league came up with a new type of tactic last night to really negate us. Messi was kind of null a little bit, you know, and Dembele was able to get spaces. But I just think, you know, for our best lineup, and I just really think it suits everyone at an optimal level is the four two three one. Right. And so again, remind me, in that four two three one, how does it go? I mean, obviously the back four is yeah, the back the, four. The, the two three course. one, how does that work? Yeah, then it would just go uh Busquets, Rakitic, mm-hmm. and then you go Coutinho, Messi, Dembele, and, and then, then Suarez, Suarez up, top. up top. Yeah. The big ham. Right, the big ham. Right, the big ham. <laughs> <laughs> but also just think about think about the substitutes we can put in there. You can put Malcolm at you know, for Dembele, for example, you can put Artur for Rakitic, Arturo Vidal for Busquets if you need to, right? And it, it doesn't lose the defensive re- responsibilities, and also we're still strong in attack, and we still have layers to go through to string pass it together. I just think for Coutinho, obviously, you know, we love the way he cuts in, but also he, I don't think he's, like, especially last night, he just wasn't as dynamic as he was in the match before where he was playing more forward. Right. And now the nice thing about this actual lineup, and I think this could very well be our best 11 right here, the one that played against Valladolid. The nice thing about this lineup is they can easily switch from one tactic to the other, from the 4-3-3 to the 4-2-3-1. So it has flexibility in that. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. And the other thing, too, is I don't know how much, you know, if they were in a 4-3-3 on a normal playing surface how much better we would have performed yeah. you know, because the playing service took us out of our tiki taka passing. You know, a lot of times we would lose possession because of the distance and the errors and passing and the movement. So, you know, I don't know if this is, you know, I want to see this four, three, three again, maybe, but again, I just think again, Val Green is just so, I don't know. I just so predictable, you know, just, right. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's talk about Valladolid for a second, because, you know, they drew with the Girona last week in their first season back in the Primera after spending four years in the Segunda. And they had a, a, a lineup, most of whom I didn't know anything about. The only one I knew anything about, of course, was the goalkeeper, Jordi Massip, because he came through the Barcelona ranks. In fact, at one point he was third uh, behind Ter Stegen and Claudio Bravo. And, but their overall sort of strategy was uh, more spread out actually than I was expecting. I was expecting two lines of four and five. And instead they had, when they were defending, they had more like the way I saw it, three lines of four, three and two with their center forward up top. And they were occupying the space really well and pressing in the midfield and forcing these turnovers Although Jordi Massip did do a great job for them, he made a number of excellent saves, including in the 35th minute, denying Coutinho the first goal. He stopped Malcolm in the 90th minute from scoring the second goal for Barcelona. And I really seemed like Malcolm was in and that was going to be a goal, but Jordi managed to, uh, to stop that. But really, of course, and we keep coming back to this and we're going to, the pitch was doing a lot of defense for Valladolid as well. It was just cut up with so many divots that Barca had to figure out how to adjust the condi- to the conditions as well as to Valladolid's tactics. Yeah, definitely. And again, like my man of the match for Valladolid has got to be the pitch, right? Because it just negated our speed and our passing accuracy to make it a fair fight for Valle to lead, you know? And like I said earlier, their defense with the three midfielders, they always had two or three people around Messi, kind of just always making sure that he felt their presence. 
And obviously Messi was able to get through a couple of times, but it, it took him a lot of work to do that. And again, when they were unable to string a lot of passes together and go through the middle, uh, it was because of either Leeds defense and their setup. And just like any team that is playing sound defensively, they're just going to try to, to make their chances count on the counter. And we saw in the first half, they had a couple shots on goal. Ter Stegen had to make a save and they were able to do that. But then again, in the second half, that, that pitch just got torn up so bad uh, for both sides that it was almost, impo- you know, it was a luck shot that essentially happened, you know, that they were going to be able to score any more goals. And I mean, you just saw the passes and the way they were cutting back and so forth and everyone was falling. They had a video here on the sports show where one of the Viola Lee players was clearing the ball and his foot sank maybe six inches into the ground. Uh, and it was yeah. just crazy, you know? Yeah. Well, now Vitaly had a few chances in the first half, but then in the second half, they had a really strong run. So what did you think of their their attacking strategy and approach? I mean, that's what you got to do when you are, you know, on paper supposed to be not as good as the other team, right? You're going to play as good as you can, hold the fort on defense as much as you can and try to convert those two to four chances that you have, you know, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately for us, they weren't able to do that, but again, they, you know, they exploited those, those holes behind Sergio Roberto and Alba when they pushed up and that's what they did. They did their homework, you know, they've been planning this match. You can tell for a while. And again, it, they, the four through three played right into their hands. You know, that's why it needed to be changed uh, to something more, different you know right well as far as the the barcelona defense you know they they just they really weren't handling Valladolid's counter well at all right that high line was being was very susceptible to breakthroughs and that was forcing ter stegen to make a lot of saves he made and it's good that we have ter stegen because he can make saves but forcing ter stegen to make a save in the eighth minute 15 minute uh, there was a really good spell for Valladolid in the second half, uh, putting as many as five men forward, I counted at one time. And Tristegan had to make a big save in the 76th minute. You know, they were they were expecting Valladolid to sit back and hunker down, just like I thought they would. And though they were playing on the counter mostly, it was from the midfield press rather than from the back. And once they got scored on, Valladolid became much more aggressive, and they nearly got that equalizer in the 92nd minute that was called back for offside and it was a correct call thanks to var even though i keep seeing this same graphic so i don't know if it was bn's graphic or this is from the var office but the graphic was wrong i think the line that they had drawn was actually level with the Valladolid player's foot not the last barcelona defender's foot which actually would have shown you that he was offside but anyway he was offside and it, it was it was called back luckily you know thanks for, to var but you know barca had a lot of fires to put out uh jordi alba was sweeping up really well a few times uh including this really crucial clearance in the 74th minute of course pk and umtiti were also sweeping up well but it's just that they were getting in behind them so many times and for me honestly defensively sergi was looking weak uh maybe he was a little bit more concerned with getting forward than his defensive duties but uh he was he was getting caught out a number of times he let in a lot of crosses but uh his forwardness did pay off offensively for us yeah definitely and you know, again, I don't think we should take so much into this match. You know, this is match number two. It's at Valladolid. Mm-hmm. For a lot of these players, this is preseason almost still, you know, with especially our big ham, you know, PK and TT. You know, if it's the World Cup or something and they play like this, then I would be up in arms. I would say the effort wasn't there in this. But again, this is just the second match of a very long season. It's an away match. It's in Valladolid. And yeah, they could have played a tighter defense and they were exposed a couple times on those counterattacks. But at the same time, it's just one of those matches where 
where it's actually, it's difficult to play. We weren't up for it the way they were up for it. You know, if we play them 10 times, I, we beat them eight, nine times out of 10. Right. And this was a match where because of the conditions of the field, where it's in the calendar, the main players are just kind of getting back from world cup and getting back into the form of the season. Again, these are just th- those matches, you know, that you kind of aren't up for. And it was evident. I mean, you, it was evident from the back, you know, PK and TTT. Uh, there was a play on PK where he made a slide tackle just because of, he was lazy on the play, right. you know, and those are the types of plays that happens, you know, in the second match of the season at Valladolid. Well, this is an interesting role reversal because usually you're the one who's super critical of the defense and I'm the one who's like, well, hey, you know, yeah. think about these other factors. The, give him a break. But this, now we've, we've switched roles. Well, the thing is, you know, we got the points, right? Right, And, yeah. you know, that's the first thing. And, yeah, I know it wasn't the most beautiful game. And I know there was holes in our defense, but... I just think, you know, when it is an important match, I think they're going to be more up for it. And I think the defense is going to be tighter going forward. Right. Well, now shifting to Barcelona's attack uh, and and the goal that we got. Uh, when, they, when the lineup first came out or when they first started lining up in, in the actual match, I thought at first that Dembele and Coutinho being both on the left would be a really big threat. But, and again, we don't know how much this has to do with the conditions or what, but they really just weren't linking up together much, uh, not as much as I was hoping for. And But then later on, once Dembele shifted to the right, and they converted so that now we got more into the 4-2-3-1 that you're proposing, a little bit more with Coutinho getting forward more on the left, Dembele on the right, they scored. Voila. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> all it takes. <laughs> that's, a, that's the thing. I, I don't... You know, if we had just got Coutinho and Dembele and we're experimenting, I would say, okay, put them on the left, try this, try that. But we've seen where they play best, right? And we saw Coutinho's outstanding performances World Cup where he was in the attacking third and the things that he's able to bring. So why do we need to have him play midfield? Right. I just don't get it. I mean, I just don't get it. This Use his strengths, get the goals, have Messi play make, have the ham up front and use Dembele's speed and dynamic play on the right i mean it's just it's so science i just don't get it you know but obviously (laughs) (laughs) i mean you see it i see it right i don't understand how they can't see it right Right. i don't know what his end game is you know yeah is he trying to groom coutinho to take over a racketage role i don't know but to me that's that's not what i want coutinho to be i want coutinho to score 30 goals this season yeah and i think he probably will honestly exactly he's super capable so why why hold the stallion back? Right. You know, I, I, I don't let understand. him run, man. Let him let him run, run, Forrest, run, you run know? free. But obviously, the the goal was the thing of beauty. Just you know, finally, the big ham was able to drop a pass to your boy Sergi. And again, if you watch Sergi's run, you said about his defensive uh, lackluster performance, but he was bombing that sideline yeah. up and down, you know. And on this play, obviously, the controversy was was the ball out of bounds or not. Obviously, there wasn't um, a replay that showed that it was completely 100% true or not, so they allowed the goal. But he headed it back, and Dembele just one-timed it to the corner, and it was such a nice play. And you can just see, obviously, too, Dembele's confidence, right? I don't know if you've – just the way he's playing, the link-up play he's doing. There were some plays – I remember at the bar last night, people were just ooing and aahing some of the things that he was doing individually on the left side at the beginning of the match. And, again, Suarez finally after – 
52 bad passes he finally got one good one you know and it was a really good one <laughs> and it was a really good one right it was a really good one and um but just the whole development of that play was just good the way they worked it from the middle to the left and then suarez spotting uh, sergio roberto and he almost didn't spot him you know he almost didn't spot him but luckily he did and dembele was in the perfect spot and again if Dembele can score another, you know, 20 goals and we have Coutinho scoring and we have more balance, which goes to your question that you were asking if we were, you know, depending on Messi too much. And if we have this type of formation, these guys working together, then we won't have to depend on them. Right. Yeah. And just real quick about that goal. The thing that I noticed or I thought afterwards is that from starting from Suarez, you know, speaking again about the pitch, that ball didn't touch the ground. From, starting from Suarez's kick, it goes from Suarez's foot to Sergi's head to Dembele's foot into the goal. Didn't touch the yeah, ground. Exactly. And that's that was probably key, right? Yeah. Just don't even put it on the ground, right? You know, it's funny because I just saw on Twitter right now that the referee had to do a match report for the field, for just the match report. Of course. And he basically said he observed no deficiencies to the playing pitch yesterday. What? <laughs> So who paid him? Yeah, seriously. Who paid him, right? Like, who paid him to say that? <laughs> All right, well, okay. No way. I mean, even the president of Valladolid, Javier Tebas, has already said that Valladolid's going to get punished, which I think fine. means a They're fine. Gonna fine. They're going to get fined. They're going to get fined. And even the president of Valladolid, Carlos Suarez, said, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw and it. And also, they even interviewed the, the groundskeeper last night. Of course. <laughs> yeah, and he said, yeah, it was his fault. They thought it was going to be in a better condition and so forth, but... Why did the referee say that? I mean, why? What's the game? What is, is going it? on with the referees in La Liga? That that right there tells me that there's some conspiracy at work. That's okay. okay. <laughs> but moving on, like if we have this formation with Coutinho Dembele, you know, with our strongest 11 going forward like, in an important match, like I said, the defense has so much to worry about. And then when we have a free kick, Messi can shine. The big ham can shine, you know, right. for these different opportunities. So, you know, obviously, we just have to have those four guys in the attacking third. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, now, just one final note about this. And again, I'm, I'm going to bring up the pitch. Uh, sorry if it's a little too much for you, but I'm going to do it real quick. Because, Gabriel, you always talk about how we need to be able to win ugly, right? We we do love the beautiful Barca game, and that's partially why we're Barcelona fans. But... If you want results, sometimes you have to win ugly. And I don't think they're going to have to win any uglier than they did in this match. Maybe maybe in the later stages of the Champions League, but at least it'll be on better pitches. But this was winning ugly at its finest. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, you know, when we're at home, we can be artistic, right? Because we know the pitch, it's wide, we can direct everything and that is okay for me, right? To be artistic, but on the road, you know, especially with this pitch or on the road against Celta in November, when it's cold as hell, you're not going to be able to have so much possession and link up those passes. So you're going to have to find different ways. And that just is going to prepare you for a champions league match in March, maybe in Germany or in England when it's cold and you have to, you're not able to string those passes together. You know, if we want to win the treble, you know, even when we won the Champions League, there were matches there where we won ugly. Right. You know, there were matches where we pulled the game away. And every time we were always stuck to our stubbornness to play so beautifully, we bowed out. Right. 
Right, absolutely. Now, so the next match, what's up for us next week? Beautiful Huesca, baby. Ah, yes, of course, Huesca, <laughs> the constant whipping boy of Barca Talk. Poor Huesca. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Huesca. <laughs> well, I they, hurt you so much. They, you know, they took three points from week one yeah. against Ibar, right. and they were playing a 4 4 2. Another yeah. freshly promoted team, and I'm starting exactly. to think that these teams that just got promoted from the Segunda are are actually pretty good. They're not pushovers. They're not pushovers, and again, it's the beginning of the season, so they haven't been exploited by depth, you know, injuries, this type of thing, right? So, right now, it's these teams are, and plus they're playing against Barcelona, so they have these matches geared up, right, in the in the early calendar to really show up. Um, like you said, in the Ibar match, they played a four four two, and as I noted here, they they only had thirty two possession thirty two percent possession that match, but they still won the match. So that tells me that they're they were able to convert those few opportunities they had. And that's always a dangerous thing, right? Because if you're able to counter at a high efficiency, then you're a dangerous opponent, right? And so that's what Valladolid was lacking last night, right? Just the, the able to finish those things. And obviously, I don't know how much, I mean, a lot of it had to do with the pitch, but also just with the talent of their strikers. So we're going to see, um, they're playing at home at the Camp Nou, so they should get those three points. Hopefully, the atmosphere is going to be better, you know, because people are coming back from vacation, so the Socies are going to be back. And um, we'll see how that goes. But I... I think we should be able to handle them. And I can. I want to see a little bit of uh, rotation as well. Use this match at home to get some players some more playing time. For example, Arturo Vidal. I want to see him play, get some matches, because you can see last night he was trying so hard to not screw up that he played like shit. Right. <laughs> well, know? and, and you, know? you could tell also that he was, again, just trying to deal with the pitch. He, he, it's like he yeah, got yeah, out course, there and he's like, what is this? this is- yeah, yeah, of course. He's like, what? We don't have this in Germany. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, maybe Arthur. Yeah, or Linglet too, you know, just get these guys because at home that gives us the advantage, our ability to possess the ball. So they're not the other team's not going to have that type of um, attacking game if they were playing away. So give some some players some rotation, give guys a break. It's still early in the season. We can do this. And it's, it's supposed to be hot too. So that's the other thing. If they're playing it later at night. But again, uh, with with our depth and our lineup, we should be able to get these three points. Now to close this off, uh, you mentioned this for a second, and I want to put it out to the listeners because after last week, in the in week one, there was this question remaining from last year, which is, is Barca continuing to rely too much on Messi for goal scoring? Um, but after this week, I think those questions may be getting put to rest. So what do you think? Are the likes of Coutinho and Dembele taking some of the weight off Messi's shoulders? Let us know what you think at BarcaTalk.net. Special thanks today to our Barca women expert, Michelle Taylor. Follow the team on Twitter at Barca Women. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson. Editing and music by Brian Henderson. Social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. We can't make this show without you, the listeners. So go to barcatalk.net slash support to see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution. And visca Barca. Podcast Network.